Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, March 23rd, 2018. cannot believe that we are almost through with the first quarter of the year. Whoa. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, it's far from what God's Word says, not even close to what it says at all. Um, And uh, people are making stuff up, twisting God's Word, teaching for shameful gain, things they ought not to teach. It's general apostasy out there. Apostasy, by the way, the Greek word apostasia means rebellion. And unfortunately, in many quarters of the visible church, there is an outright rebellion against sound doctrine, what God, the Holy Spirit, has revealed in his word. And uh, those who would dare to actually point out what God's word say and says, well, those guys, uh, they're going to get it is the best way I could put it. All right. So it is Friday, and uh, Friday at this point doesn't have a theme. Nope. (laughs) And uh, I'm desperately uh, busy at the moment trying to put together the the flaming pieces that will be for the dumpster fire that we will will post uh, early next week. So, you know, it, what we it just, you know, kind of how this is all working out is that after doing a week of research, filling the program, theming the programs and, you know, and getting things out, there's always these little outliers and <laughs> stuff that doesn't quite make the cut. And some of it's really over the top absurd. And some of it is, yeah, you get the idea. And, and it goes into our YouTube uh, channel uh, for the dumpster fire. And then uh, one of the things that we've uh, made the decision is that uh, every month when it comes time for the uh, monthly prophecy updates, 
those are going now into our dumpster fire uh, episodes on YouTube. And uh, one of the things we're doing is we're, uh, we're, we're every month we're playing Prophecy Bingo. If you remember a while back, I created uh, uh, Fighting for the Faith Prophecy Bingo cards. And I need to uh, kind of put this out there right now. And that is, is that with the April edition of, uh, you know, of our Prophecy Bingo updates in the dumpster fire, if you want to organize a Prophecy Bingo night at your house, maybe get some friends together and play Prophecy Bingo, if you take photographs of you, you, know, you and your friends or family members playing Prophecy Bingo, um, you know, post those uh, photographs over at Twitter using the hashtag, hashtag Prophecy Bingo. So hashtag Prophecy Bingo. And, uh, you know, and uh, we will be selecting different photographs from hashtag prophecy bingo to feature on an upcoming episode of the dumpster fire. So I, I just want to put that out there. <laughs> it's like you uh, <clears throat> you want to let everybody know that you're playing prophecy bingo. Send, send us photographs and it, you don't have to send us just one. I mean, if you take several photographs, including if you get like a bingo, you know, go ahead and, you know, po- you know post the photograph of your... <laughs> Your bingo card, if you get bingo, and uh, we will uh, feature that on an upcoming installment of the Dumpster Fire. So I wanted to put that out there. So uh, let's talk about what we're going to do with uh, this episode of Fighting for the Faith. We are going to begin with a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. We're heading to the YouTube channel of Kathy Walters. Uh, she made her first appearance uh, in a Dumpster Fire episode this week, and I'm going to be uh, listening to a portion of something that she said in a recent video of hers, and the name of it is Timmy and the Cat and the Supernaturally Saved. I don't think we're going to be hearing about Timmy and the Cat and all that kind of stuff, but one of the things that she is going to be making the claim is, and we're going to see, this is a great example of it, is that within the Pentecostal and charismatic movements, they tell you that you are to expect the absurd from God and you are not to tell God how he does things. So this is the the type of teaching that prepares people. In fact, a, a, a good way to describe this would be uh, grooming. Mm-hmm. This is a form of false teaching grooming, grooming people for, uh, you know, abuses of the holy manifestations of the spirit and stuff like that. So we're going to listen as she is grooming the people in her, you know, charismatic audience to expect absurd manifestations of God. And it's, it's, it is arrogant of you to resist these things or to say that God can't do it that way. And uh, so we'll listen to her on that. And then we're going to head over to the YouTube channel for Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson, if you're not familiar with this fellow, he is a graduate of the Bethel School of the Supernatural or Supernatural Ministry. And um, he's got a YouTube channel dedicated to his um, team called the Dead Raising Team, the DRT. And uh, we're going to note this is that um, the, the, Tyler Johnson is a fellow who's, well, really, really long in the uh, the uh, telling of tall tales, really, really short on the providing of medical documentation to verify his tall tales. But uh, we're going to listen to him as he is teaching 
uh, the, this, uh, the name of the video is The Sacred Cow, Is Man Inherently Evil? Mm-hmm. And he's going to be denying the doctrine of original sin. And I find that very fascinating because Scripture is so clear on this that we are born dead in trespasses and sins by nature, objects of God's wrath. We'll take a look at uh, Romans chapter 3 and its description of humanity and just compare it to what he's saying. But this is a fellow who literally is out there trying to teach people how to raise the dead, and yet he has yet to provide any medically verified um, evidence that uh, any of the DRTs, the dead raising teams um, of Bethel, have been successful in actually raising anybody from the dead. So kind of fascinating there. Then um, we're going to head over to H Rock Church out there in Pasadena as we listen to the son of Shayon, Gabe On, and uh, teaching on the doctrine of sonship. Very interesting video that we'll be listening to there. Um, and then somewhere in there we'll kind of throw in a, uh, a, a, a commercial, series of commercials from the uh, the Coles recent set of uh, conferences that they did in Cleveland. This was really bizarre. And uh, <laughs> and then I want to get to Joel Cave and uh, him talking about the importance of having a dream. In, and then I also want to get to Larry and Tiz Huck. Uh-huh. And uh, their Passover scam for this year. And I don't think I'm going to be able to fit everything. <laughs> In. And then also on deck, I potentially could be doing a Catherine Runala update uh, regarding the baptism of fire. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're thinking, how are you going to get this all in there? I don't think I am. But uh, so the idea is that we have a lot of potential segments uh, for <laughs> this installment of Fighting for the Faith and a good chance that we won't be able to get to them all. And then in hour number two, we'll end the week off with two good sermons. Um one from Pastor Mark Bestial, Calvary Lutheran Church, Elgin, Illinois. The other from Pastor Brian Wolfmuller at uh, Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. we got a lot of ground we need to cover, and we're not going to cover it all. <laughs> I just realized, looking at everything I have in, it's like, yeah, we're not going to get everything in there, are we? Okay, let's do this. Get up right now. That's right. That's Robert Tilton's Hubabaconda. So we're heading over to the YouTube channel of Kathy Walters, and Kathy Walters is um, actually somewhat known within the uh, NAR and charismatic movements. And this is her YouTube channel. The name of the video is Timmy and the Cat and the Supernaturally Saved. Like I said, it, it probably has nothing to do with what we're going to listen to today, but 
I want you to hear her. There's there's some certain things she's going to say that are quintessential uh, parts, if you would, of the NAR charismatics and the charismatic and Pentecostal movements. And it's a form of grooming that we're going to be listening to and a, and a completely false teaching regarding how... Uh, you know, how evangelism is to take place. But uh, here's Kathy Walters. Here we go. Um, anyway, so what was I thinking of? Um, yeah, so God does so many things that, like, are so out of our range. Uh, so God does so many things that are so far out of our range. This is the type of language used to groom people for things like Outbur- uh, uncontrollable outbursts of laughter, rolling on the ground, convulsing uncontrollably, you know, and and the belief that somehow these are manifestations of God, the Holy Spirit. What she's doing is basically repeating what she's heard in her charismatic churches. And when I was in the uh, the, the latter rain movement. This is exactly the kind of stuff that my wife and I were told that you can't put God in a box and when he shows up you need you you can't you can't be offended and tell him he can't manifest in this way that's literally what's going on here. You can't tell him what to do. We all say that. You don't know how he's going to do it. We all say that too. But you know we really don't. And if you have a, a limitation of how God works you're going to miss such a lot of things that he does because... Right. So if you put a limitation on God, you're going to miss out on so many of the things he does, like causing people to become drunk in the glory and stuff. You see, there's no biblical text that says this, by the way. This is a man-made teaching, origins within the Pentecostal and charismatic movements, and this is what grooms people for complete demonic deception. He doesn't do it your way. He doesn't do it my way. He does it his way. And your job is not to uh, show him how to do it or even help him. Right. Don't, whatever. Don't tell God how to do it you, or even try to help him. No, 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 no. You can't do that. Your job is to be spirit-led, yes, but sometimes that means keeping right out of the way while he does what you're believing him to do. So I want to tell you this story because it's... All right, so she's going to tell us a story now, and there's false doctrine embedded in this story. We'll point it out along the way. It's true, and it's beautiful, has the love of God, and how faith works. So when we were in our uh, revival in England, uh, one of our elders was a man, his name was Timmy. He's a really great guy, and he was an actor. Now, Timmy was in this play that was a tour on a tour it was touring around different you know cities and towns in England and he to me developed um a real love and compassion for the I was going to say worship leader not the worship leader he's the orchestra leader that was with the play and this guy was very very nice apparently uh the only problem was that he had a very satisfying life a very satisfying life very satisfying house and whatever. All right. So, so he's talking about a fellow who, as an unbeliever, was really satisfied with his life. I mean, his life was everything that it should be. He had a good job. He had a beautiful wife. He had a great house, lived in a good neighborhood. Listen to what she says. Anyway, the thing is that he had saw no need of anything. He loved his life. 
didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't have kids, didn't want any, had a dog, had a cat. He just had a lovely life. Everything in the garden is lovely. And so he, you know, when Timmy tried to talk to him about being a Christian, he never could get it because to him, Christians were people that kind of want, need something to lean on or they, they want a support system. A lot of people think like that, actually. They, they feel like Christians are people that need to, like, lean on something. So we, Simi couldn't get through to him at all. He had no needs. He couldn't see any need for Jesus. So listen to that. So this charismatic who is telling him about Jesus, this guy felt like he had no need for Jesus. How can that possibly be if you understand why we need Jesus? What do we need Jesus for, by the way? Scripture is very clear that we are born dead in trespasses and sins, and by nature we are objects of God's wrath. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It is explicitly clear about this. I don't need Jesus to give me an upgrade on my house. I don't need Jesus to help me find somebody who's affordable to mow my lawn every year. I don't need Jesus to help me be satisfied with my suburban lifestyle here in North Dakota. I need Jesus because I am a sinner and I am literally facing, and you and I are all facing, an eternity in hell because of our rebellion against God. So already this is a weird story because it's a story of a Christian trying to share Jesus with an unbeliever, and the unbeliever doesn't see any real need for Jesus, which means the believer hasn't told the unbeliever about their sin, the wrath of God, eternity in hell, and that they need to repent and be forgiven, and that Christ has bled and died for their sins on the cross. So this is really weird. So the play was finishing, coming to an end, so Timmy wasn't going to be seeing this guy. So, you know, we kind of didn't know what else to do. We prayed for him. Yeah, we prayed for him. And then we just released him to God and said, there's nothing we can do. You will have to show him a need. You'll, God will have to show him a need. Unbelievable. So that he can run to you. And we just believe you to do something in the name of Jesus. Well, we did that, and then we left it, because we kind of had to, because Timmy didn't see this guy anymore. So we left it after that. Well, about a year later, we were... Um, we were in a march. They had some marches in England called uh, Light the Fire or something like that. And Light the Fire. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that doesn't sound good. You know, there'd be like 100,000 Christians marching in these marches. And they were really wonderful, especially for England, that it like kind of timid. Um, so we were in this march, our church, we were in the march, and we were marching in London. And suddenly, uh, Timmy looked over. And he said, I can't believe it. So we're like, what? what? And he said, there's the guy that we prayed for, the, the music director, the orchestra leader. He's over there. He's got a banner called Jesus is Lord. 
So we're like, whoa. So Timmy said, I have to check this out. So he goes running off to catch up with this guy. And of course, we didn't see him, didn't see Timmy anymore that day. So the next day when we did see him, this was the story that happened to the guy. All right. So what's the story? Somebody preached the, God's law to him, convicted him of his sins, and he realized that he needs Jesus and what Christ has done to reconcile him to the Father on, you know, based on his work on the cross. Is that how the story will go? Um, like I said, he had no needs. Everything's lovely. So no needs, no needs for Jesus, and they were totally stumped as Christians to figure out how to convince this guy he needs Jesus. Totally stumped, couldn't think about, you know, the wrath of God or what Jesus did on the cross. None of that ever occurred to them, so they released him to God. A year later, they saw him at a rally. Okay. They they had a cat. It was like just an alley cat. It wasn't a thoroughbred or anything, but they had this cat. They loved the cat. And the cat developed um, leukemia. Right, which, you know, that does happen to cats. Yeah. They took it to the vet, of course, and the vet said, there's nothing I can do, really, for the cat because it has cancer's going to die. So they were just, I mean, they were distressed. They loved this cat. They yeah. didn't have lots of things and people in their life. They loved the cat. They were so distressed that they got absolutely desperate. Well, um, he, the guy, um, I don't know what to call him. I can't remember his name. Um, he looked in the yellow pages, the London yellow pages, and he looked under, I think, I don't know if he's looking under churches or Christian, but then he looked for healing. Healing. So he found some healing minister. Well, he came across... The London Healing Mission. The London Healing Mission is really nothing to do with healing. It's a ministry to street people. But anyway, it said healing. So the man um, called the London Healing Mission, you see, and he said, do you heal cats? And I think there was like a clergyman on the other end. So he's very wise. He said, well, I don't see why not. They are God's creatures. So they... The, uh, Timmy's friend said, we want you to pray for our cats. And I thought this guy thought he was going to give some little prayer over the phone, you know. The, the um, guy with the cat said, we're coming over there right now. And I think it was Saturday night, no, like about 10 o'clock. It's an hour's drive to get there. They've got the cat in the car wrapped in a blanket and they drove over to the London Healing Mission. It was probably 11 when they got there. And... Um, they, they knocked at the door, the guy opened the door. I think he was shocked because they were standing there with the cat. So they, you know, invited them in, of course, and they, they shoved the cat into the, this guy's arms. I think he was so shocked that he, I think he wasn't spirit-filled, that he was actually being asked to pray in person for this cat. Anyway, they pushed the cat on him and said, pray for the cat right now. So I think the guy probably said, prayed some religious prayer like, God have mercy on this kitty cat or something. <laughs> oh, my. God bless the animals. God bless the cat. But anyway, suddenly the power of God hit the cat. The and power the of God hit the cat. cat sprang up in the air, landed on its feet, and went running off. Well, I didn't run away because they brought it back. Probably terrified. That was totally 
healed. I think probably the, the reverend guy nearly probably fainted. He was so shocked. And, but my, you know, Timmy's friends were so excited. They brought the cat back, you know, saying, God's real, God's real. And then they looked in um, Yellow Pages the next day to find a church in their area. Fortunately, they found a really lively, spirit-filled church. Uh, so I see. Okay. So there it is. Uh, not a story. They, the uh, the spirit-filled people there in London couldn't come up with a single reason why this fellow needed Jesus until he needed Jesus to heal his cat. Uh and by the way, the uh, charismatic movement is filled with these kinds of nonsensical, non-verifiable stories all over the place. Uh, but fascinating story that even in the midst of it, she couldn't think of a single reason why this really well-to-do affluent Londoner needed Jesus. Couldn't Didn't put two and two together and said, whoa, wait a second, the guy's a sinner and Jesus is the Savior. No, it wasn't until the power of God randomly shot the cat and healed it that he realized he needed Jesus. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, this is really sketchy stuff and filled with all kinds of weird false doctrine. Hmm. All right, moving along, let's do this. Jeez, babe, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have disliced. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. By the dawning of the sun, they'll take over the world. They're Pinky and the Brain, yes, Pinky and the Brain. The twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. All right, so we're heading over to the YouTube channel of Tyler uh, Johnson, and uh, it is One Glance Ministries, and he's the head of the Dead Raising Team. Mm -hmm. He's a graduate of the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, and uh, he has a video that he put out called The Sacred Cow is Man Inherently Evil. And uh, I find it fascinating that the man who is going around the landscape set trying to make a goal of having a dead raising team in every city across the nation, that he doesn't understand what Scripture says regarding sinful and fallen humanity. And uh, it hasn't dawned on him yet, which kind of calls into question all of the claims to the miraculous by Tyler Johnson and others, but uh, let's listen in as he explains to us the sacred cow. Is man really inherently evil? Here we go. What's up, you guys? Just wanted to uh, talk with you a little bit about the prophetic today, the way we view the world, the way we view those around us, the way we do evangelism, all that good stuff. This is going to be fun, so stay tuned. Check this out. In a world, you perform to be accepted. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In the kingdom, you just are accepted. It's just how it is. You're just seen as beautiful. You're just seen as awesome. God. You're just seen as beautiful. You're just seen as awesome. No, actually, that's not true. 
You see, the only reason why we're seen that way by God is for the sake of Christ, because he has died for our sins, and he's clothed us in the righteousness of Christ. So what you just said there is already false. you for your prophetic destiny, but he loves you for who you are right now. There's nothing that you could do, good or bad, to change how God feels about you right now. Uh, really? Uh, there's no consequences to sin at all? Even, you know, wow, that's, um, <laughs> that's kind of weird right there. All right, we're going to have to pause. I mean, literally, we have to pause right there. And uh, we're going to pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. When we come back, we'll continue with Tyler Johnson. We'll get to Shayon's um, son. And probably, I have to figure out which one we're going to do after that. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Peter, James, John, and Paul are all dead. That means there are no living apostles in the church today. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> everyone, I'm back! <laughs> Rex Quando here, and now we're going to have a revised intro brought to you by your very own Rex Quando. Ding! People, listen up. It's time for your training to begin. Um, Mr. Kwando, sir? Please refrain from asking any questions until the instruction is concluded. <clears throat> Today's lessons include two separate training courses. The first being how to walk on water. And the second, how to walk through walls. This curriculum is from Bethel Church, so it was obviously very expensive. Hence the $400 surcharge. I, I mean seed offering. <laughs> that all nine of you so generously provided. Uh, the brochure I received said something about breaking both my legs if I didn't pay. That must have been a minor clerical error. Anyway, if all of you would kindly follow me, we can begin the first lesson. Gentlemen, what you see before you is an Olympic-sized pool that will provide the perfect training ground for your first lesson. I absolutely forbid any recording of these lessons for copyright reasons. <laughs> we also can't have this highly sensitive information falling into the wrong hands, understand? First things first, in order to successfully walk across the pool, you must build up your faith inside yourself and believe just Hard enough. Can you give us a demonstration? What did I tell you about questions? 
I can't show you today because I did it for a class yesterday. It's kind of a once-a-week type of deal. You, you can't overuse things like this. For the purposes of today's lesson, I've added a little extra motivation. <laughs> if you look very carefully across the pool, you will see a tank filled with piranhas. With a simple pull of this cord, the piranhas have now been released into the pool. For our first victim, I mean volunteer, I choose Motormouth over there to be our first demonstrator. Oh, jeez. Now, just step up to the edge. That's it. Now, build up your faith inside yourself and believe. Believe. Do you feel like you're believing enough? I am. I think so. Good. Now go. See, you weren't believing hard enough. Believe harder. Harder! Ugh, you're hopeless. Okay, who's next? Approximately two hours later. Okay, you lot are clearly not getting the hang of it. Time to move on to lesson two. Why does it smell so terrible in here? Okay, boys, welcome to lesson number two. Walking through walls. Your task is to build up enough faith within yourself. Run directly at the wall in front of you and pass through. To give you the proper motivation, I've made things slightly more interesting by locking you all inside of that trash compactor. Trash compactor? I have complete faith in you, men. Good luck. Such potential. Oh, wow, is that the time? I'm almost late for my next class. Hey, everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. Boo! Boo! Boo. 
And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, uh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if they teach you that you gotta just be ready for God to act in ways that will upset you. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio, and that means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world, and you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says, actually three, three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew, the other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner, $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. If you'd like to support us by being a patron on Patreon, you can do that as well. Click on the Become a Patron button, and you can select and choose uh, the amount that you would like to support us via Patreon. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you do so by clicking on the Donate button or either the traditional way by making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then sending it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208, And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's return back to uh, Tyler Johnson's um, YouTube video. And uh, he's already uh, off the rails. And this is a guy who's, you know, out there setting up dead-raising teams. Mm -hmm. So, you know, which, again, with this false doctrine that we're going to be hearing from him, how can he legitimately say that he's having these miracles occur when his theology is totally contrary to what the clear and written word of God says? He loves you. Yeah. He loves you. He loves you. And he likes you. He doesn't just love you. He actually likes you. He delights in who you are. Now, check this out. When I played soccer, I, I played soccer for many years. It was kind of my thing growing up. I would play on various teams. Uh, I had three main teams. I had my club team. I had my... Notice he's not going to a biblical text. He's going to an anecdotal life story. And there's your problem right there. My high school team, and then I had a team called ODP. And my dad was my coach 
of my club team, and I had my friends on there. We had a blast. It was amazing. I had a great time. I played really well on that team. Um, my ODP team, I had a coach uh, that I didn't know, but he believed in me, and I uh, played better than I've ever played in my life on that team. Um, almost went to be on the state and then national teams. Um, and then I had my high school team. Now, uh, <clears throat> my high school coach, great guy, but he just never could – it was like he never from the get-go believed in me. I don't know what it was, but I – Yeah, his coach didn't believe in him, yeah. He did believe in me, but I didn't feel like it. Feel like it. I don't know what it was. But for whatever reason, on that team, I could not do it. It was like there was a blockage, no matter what. No matter how much affirmation and encouragement I got, I could not play well on that team. Never could satisfy him. Just a mean old gunky head. Abusive coach. And um, and even at the time, I think I was aware of this, I was aware that my coach's inability to believe in me, prior to me actually doing well, was what somehow stifled me. Like, I was consciously aware of that, but I could not. No matter what, even if I was like, don't worry about it, you know, I tried to mentally get over it, or whatever, I could not play like I normally played. And then I'd get on my dad's team, and I would just tear it up, or I would get on my ODP team, and I remember my coach just being like, saying things to me, I mean, I don't feel like I performed to earn it, he didn't know me from Adam, you know, he didn't know me, who I was at all, but it was like he was able to see my style of play, and he was able to... Uh, affirm me. Now, there's a reason why I, I'm, I'm saying all of this stuff. He, mm-hmm. this coach, prior to me doing well, believed that I was good. Okay? Now, <clears throat> the purpose of why I'm saying all of this is because when we go into the world to do evangelism, or even the way we treat our families, everything we do, when we go into it, believing that they are wonderful people, believing that God loves them, believing that... Okay, why do wonderful people need a Savior to die for their sins? I just have to ask the obvious question, because it says in Scripture that Jesus died for our sins. This is the gospel. Read 1 Corinthians 15. The opening verses define the gospel for us. The gospel is the good news that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, was raised again on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. So why, if I'm a wonderful person, do I need Jesus to die for my sins? Um, that they're amazing. Regardless of what their performance is, the funny thing is, that is a, that's a tangible way to prophesy into someone's life to enable them to become the very thing that you're saying that they are. You don't even have to verbally say So I'm supposed to, for evangelism, I'm supposed to prophesy into people's life and tell them how wonderful they are so that they can become even more wonderful. Yeah, that's contrary to what Scripture says. By the way, two clearest passages, and there are more, the two clearest passages in the New Testament pertaining to our state before we are Christians, you know, and this is every human being is born in the state, dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and it says this, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature 
children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3 describes humanity in this way, starting at verse 9. So what then? Are we Jews any better off? Well, no, not at all. We've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, that's everybody, they're under sin. As it is right, it written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Yeah, I I think that's pretty straightforward. And when you look at the evangelism that takes place in the book of Acts, you have no examples of the apostles while going out and proclaiming Jesus saying, we're here to tell you how wonderful you are so we can prophetically speak to you so that you'll become even more wonderful. Over and again, we see examples of like the apostle Peter saying, repent, be baptized, we see the apostle paul in you know traipsing about the mediterranean telling people that in christ is the forgiveness of their sins uh-huh so romans then continues so we know that whatever the law speaks it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to god for by works of the law no human being will be declared righteous in god's sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin but now the righteousness of god has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets they bear witness to it the righteousness of god that is through faith in jesus christ for all who believe for there's no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified or declared righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as an atoning sacrifice or propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So you get the idea here. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How come these clear passages contradict Tyler Johnson, the man who is out there spearheading the creation of the dead-raising teams? Hmm, could it be that this man has a false anthropology, false understanding of humanity, which then leads to his false gospel? We continue for a few minutes. It's the way you treat someone. It's the way you talk to them. It's the way you look at them. It's the way your heart views them. I mean, even in marriage, this is so huge that if you give the benefit of the doubt and if you... um, Choose to believe the best about your spouse rather than being on the defensive. Things work out. When you don't, things don't work out. Yeah, again, you're pointing to life illustrations rather than biblical texts. Doctrine comes from clear passages of Scripture. Now, this is also the way that God views us. When God views us, when he looks at us, he sees us um, as blameless, right? As perfected, as wonderful. Not apart from Christ, he does. No way. Only in Christ does he see us as that. It's beautiful. Even though we're in the midst of making mistakes, God views us. No, 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 no. They're not mistakes. They're called sins, according to Scripture. 
for in our prophetic destiny. He says you're amazing. Not only because he thinks you're amazing right now, but because you're going to do even more amazing things and become more amazing in the future. Okay? No, that see, no, he doesn't consider me amazing apart from Christ. You're not telling the truth. Now, this is true. This has always been true about your life. God's always felt like this about you. Even prior to you receiving Christ, he felt like this about you. Why? Because even before the foundations of the world, God Jesus died. He was slain before the foundations of the world. God has always been for you. Uh, again, uh, Ephesians 2.3 says that we were objects of God's wrath. Romans 5 says that we are, were ungodly and enemies of God. Yeah, so you, what you're saying about God's feelings, you can't find a biblical text that says that's, God, that's how God felt. And what you're saying is contradicted by clear passages of Scripture. Now, the reason why I'm saying all this is because when we go out and do evangelism and stuff, if we have this inherent belief that people are evil, okay? Yeah, like objects of God's wrath, like Ephesians 2, 3 says, and Romans 3 says, yeah. If we have this inherent belief that people... Um, that they're, they're just, you know, just, you know, untrustworthy, trashy people then we're going to impart that everywhere we go. But if we're in love with humanity, if we're in love with people... Yeah, if, if, you, if, you, if you're a sinful, trashy person, we're going to impart that. Uh-huh. Where does it say that? Because the apostles told people they were sinners. Mm-hmm. And we love people, even though they take advantage of us, even though they make fun of us, whatever it is, right? Even though they drag your name through the mud, whatever it is, if we continue to believe that people are amazing because we're choosing to see them through God's eyes... Yeah, again, you haven't demonstrated that because I've just read what God's Word says. Don't you think God's Word tells us something about God's eyes? That is what we'll call them into. In fact, you'll see people brought into salvation through Christ simply because you see it in them before they've made the decision. If we Yeah, that's ridiculous. No passage says that either. Treat people the way that my high school coach did. We won't see fruit. We won't see them perform well. But if we treat them without them ever doing anything right, if we treat them for, in the terms of their prophetic destiny, if we treat them and we mm, treat them in their prophetic destiny, no biblical text says to do that either. See them as beautiful and wonderful before they've even earned it or before they've performed in that way, right? They become that. Um, I got to ask the question why would God, the Holy Spirit, give you the power to raise people from the dead when you are teaching? a false anthropology, which is a false problem, and you're not rightly applying the cross to the situation, and you're making stuff up regarding God. This is true of our kids. When we, when we look at our kids, you can see them for all their problems, or you can choose to view them the way that God views all of us. He sees us for the good things. The bad things, he's not. No, he doesn't see us for the good things. He sees us clothed with the righteousness of Christ oblivious to right god's not oblivious to our problems and our mistakes and all the dumb they're called sins we do he's not oblivious to those things it's just that god puts on the forefront of his mind the things he delights in about us which is the same things we should be doing for everyone else really where does it say that about god that he puts in the forefront of his mind the, the things that delight him about us where does it say that he puts those things on the forefront of his mind. His thoughts are numerous towards us, more than the sands, you know, all the beaches and the... By the way, this guy is a graduate of the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. ...world, all those thoughts he's having about you, I believe, every second. He can have all those thoughts running through his head about you all the time, every second. And they're all positive. The things that we need to work on, he approaches those things in a kind, 
and thoughtful and encouraging way. Oh, that sounds great, but it sounds like you're making stuff up. Not in a condemning way. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. This- right, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which means there's condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. See who God is. This is the way that he treats us. Um, this is the gospel. This is the No, it's not. The gospel is actually defined in 1 Corinthians 15. Yep, it is. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul defines the gospel for us. And we. it's important to note that uh, the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians makes it clear that the gospel he preached, he did not receive from any human being, but he received it directly from Christ. And here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. He was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. That's the gospel. And the gospel that uh, Tyler Johnson is giving us here is a different gospel. And the Apostle Paul is also very clear in Galatians chapter 1, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than the one preached, let him be damned. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what Scripture says. Strange, isn't it? Moving along, we're still under the NAR, so here's what we're going to do. There's no way I'm going to get to everything today. (laughs) I overcooked our program. My apologies. Didn't mean to burn some of the noodles. But anyway, uh, we'll, we're going to go over to the call. I want you to hear this, these weird commercials for the call, that were aired at the call, Cleveland. We'll listen to the guy setting it up, and then we'll head over to H-Rock, and I want you to hear Shayon's son talking about the doctrine of sonship. It's really quite fascinating. So let's head over to the call. Here we go already we want to encourage you guys throughout this event and throughout this gathering when you guys go home tonight go and hashtag azusa now cleveland the call c-l-e so what's happening here can actually reverberate throughout this nation right hashtag it so it'll reverberate throughout the nation got it well last thing i want to share with you guys is we're going to show a a series of three videos and these are three prayer initiatives that we're doing with the three prayer initiatives here oh the first one, Safa, my wife and I, we, we help lead that one. And we're going to talk more about it tomorrow. There's, uh, 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 there's one about the Jesus fast, a 40-day fast we believe is going to change the world. We're just going to roll. The Jesus fast is going to change the world. These three videos. And we just want all of you guys, we want to encourage all of you guys to lean in. Because we feel like this is something that God is releasing into the earth. Lean in because this is something God's releasing. Like the Ebola virus. Yeah. No. Here we go. Hope you're sitting down. I want to call to bravery. I want to call a generation to obedience. <laughs> what? Young men, young women, you have dreams in your heart, things you feel like God has given you. I believe in those things. But as I stand here, I want to invite you into a much greater dream. I want to find a, you know, a greater dream. Okay. Something far greater than your personal dreams and desires. And it's that the name of Jesus, the most beautiful name. <laughs> Is this? They made known in every tribe, in every tongue, in every ethnos. Far more than 
Yeah, it's more than an emotional response from the lady who's clearly lost track of her emotions here. There is still the same yes that Hudson Taylor had! There is still the same yes that was in a 20-year-old Amy Carmichael! There is still the same yes! This is something God's releasing into the world right now. Was it Samuel's waiver when he said, I will go, I will stake all things on one thing, that he is with me to the end of the age! Okay, so that was uh, that's one of the commercials from the call. Okay, he- here's another. My friend came to me, and he said, "If you could preach on anything that you knew would bring the great awakening at the end of the age, what?" If you could. Preach on anything that would bring the Great Awakening at the end of the age. Uh huh. Yeah, there's your uh, NAR doctrine of the uh, billion souls harvest led by Joel's army or the Joshua generation. Preach on. Immediately tears welled up within me, and I said, I would call the church over the whole earth into a 40 day Jesus fast. A 40 day Jesus fast. Hey, no way. We. Yeah, see, Jesus fasted 40 days, so you got to fast 40 days. Which, by the way, this is a latter rain doctrine. Yeah, I'm sorry. I spent time in the latter rain. And this idea that, you know, you you bring about the Great Awakening by your fasting and stuff. Yeah, this is a latter rain doctrine. It's time to follow the Master into the wilderness. It is. I've got to follow the Master into the wilderness. Says what biblical text? And into a 40-day Jesus fast. Because before there was the original Jesus movement, there was an original Jesus fast. Yeah, see, what caused the original Jesus movement was the original Jesus fast. That's bogus. The church as it joins into this fast will see a great light dawn and the great harvest explode. Let's seize them. Yeah, which biblical text says that? For the great Jesus awakening at the end of the age. Yeah, so you got to do a Jesus 40-day fast for the great Jesus awakening to show up. Hope you survive it. Ah, boy, I think you get the idea. All right, so uh, let's head over to H-Rock Church. H-Rock Church. This is uh, Shayon's son, Gabe On. And uh, he this listen to this as he preaches about the doctrine of sonship. I mean, this is straight-up NAR doctrine here. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, that we live based on the Word of God. This is our plumb line. Uh, yeah, but you twist it. Based on the truth of God. I, I just really appreciate what Pastor Gwen said, that we're to base our life on the truth. Pastor Gwen. See, God's Word forbids women from being pastors. So, yeah, you can sit there and give lip service to God's Word being a plumb line, but it ain't there, no. There's no vacillating in the kingdom of God when you base your life off of the Word of God. Amen. And so uh, we're going to go after God this afternoon. This morning we had such a powerful service. And uh, one of the things that we love to pursue is we pursue his presence for the purpose of being transformed. But more importantly, to bring about transformation wherever we go. You seek his presence for the purpose of transformation? Um, what, what exactly does that mean? 
Amen. And so if you came to church today and you came, I'm just going to keep it real with you. You came because you just wanted to receive something. I'm here to tell you that that's just half of the purpose of why you're here. You're actually here to receive. But then when you walk out of the four walls of this church, you're to give away what you've received. Amen. That every every person. Okay, what do you mean by that? Comes into the proximity of the presence of God within you, experiences his Holy Spirit, experiences the presence. Somebody who comes into the proximity of the Holy Spirit within me is going to experience the presence of God because of their proximity to me. What? of God. I love one definition of evangelism is it's simply overflow. You're so full of the Holy Spirit. You're so full of the love of God that you can't help but overflow to those around you to the point where people start to ask you like, what is up with you? You seem different. I'm looking forward to the day where, where we begin to walk into places and, and literally we're seeing this take place, but where darkness dissipates and people begin. So you've walked into places and darkness has just dissipated because you're so glowy. You, you glow in the dark. You get healed just by the, the, the touch of our shadows in Jesus' name. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, have you healed anybody um, just by having your shadow touch them? You know, uh, Gabe, uh, you, you, you talk a good game here. Could you please show me the medical verification for people being healed by coming into close proximity of your shadow? I would like to see that documented, please. I'm looking forward to the day where we see what Jesus talks about in John 15, that even greater things than these you will do. And what Jesus... So he's saying those days haven't arisen. They haven't arrived yet. So they're still not doing the greater things by his own admission. That's a tacit admission there, by the way. It was awesome. Amen. He healed the sick. The blind eyes saw. Amen. The deaf ears were open. The dead were raised. And he says, even greater things than these you will do in your life. How many of you know that we have more than three years of ministry? We have a lifetime call to advance the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. And you're a witness. Yeah, you've got to advance the kingdom by bringing it here to earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, NAR doctrine there. For Christ, whether you like it or not either for or against him. Amen. And so may our lives reflect the encounters that we experience with him. Our lives need to reflect the encounters. I have no idea what that means. That those around us would taste and see how good God is. Amen. No, I can't say amen to this. One person say, I just love people until they ask me the reason why. And uh-huh. I open up and I share the gospel to them. I wonder if you even know what it is. I just feel there's an anointing for evangelism. I know last week we talked about Billy. There's an evangelism anointing there. Okay. Um, but there's a mantle of evangelism and for souls to be saved and disciples to be made and sons and daughters to be raised up uh, like never before. And so, Lord, I just ask that you'd release again the revelation that we are called to make disciples of all nations. I ask for boldness and godly confidence. God needs to re-release the, um, the Great Commission. Who knew? Why didn't he do it sooner? I mean, imagine how many people have been lost because he forgot to re-release the great commission. <laughs> this is weird. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Meyer Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to finish the week off with a couple of good sermons, one by Pastor Mark Vestal, the other by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss them. We'll be right back.
Gibberish is not one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck. Because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, Exclusive Skype Interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra Pirate Christian Media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Number two, fighting for the faith. Going to end the week off with a couple of good sermons. Man, I can use them after that miserable week of heresy. 
then again, you know, I listen to Heresy every week. Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest is coming up very shortly, too. Ugh, woof. <laughs> All right, let's do this right. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. We're going to end the week off with two good sermons. The first of them comes from uh, Calvary Lutheran Church, Elgin, Illinois. Pastor Mark Bestial presiding. The name of the sermon is Proper Expectation of Our Salvation, based upon the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Sermon number two comes to us via Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller presiding. The name of the sermon is The Riddle of the Two Children, based upon Galatians, chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. I will read out the biblical text before each sermon, so let me go ahead and back off on the music. And our first sermon is based upon the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, which reads, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God." This is the text that forms the basis of our first sermon, which is by Pastor Mark Bestial, and the name of it, again, is Proper Expectation of Our Salvation. Here we go. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you haven't noticed it thematically, the gospel readings of the last few Sundays have dealt with false expectations about the Christ. Two Sundays ago, the question was, who do people say that I am? And after Peter's bold confession, you are the Christ, that same disciple could be found rebuking the Christ for not meeting the expectations of Peter's theology of glory. Last Sunday, we heard that the temple had fallen into a use that highlighted false expectations of the Messiah, turning eyes and hearts from the ancient promises to an improper belief about the temple's purpose and fulfillment. We also heard last week from St. Paul's words to the Corinthians about the whole world 
false expectations, seeking signs, chasing after human wisdom, and finding the cross of God's power and wisdom to be foolishness and a stumbling block. This morning, the context of our reading from John 3 tells us the false expectations that Jesus is responding to. Those false expectations belong to Nicodemus, whose first comments exposed his mistaken notions that the kingdom of heaven could be found in signs and wonders. And then, upon Jesus correcting him that really only those born again could see the kingdom of heaven, Nicodemus wondered how a man could go about entering his mother's womb a second time. And finally, as Jesus explained to him the new birth that belongs to those born of water and the Holy Spirit, Nicodemus asked, how can these things be? Such false expectations about earning one's salvation instead of it being a gift from God, as we heard in our epistle reading. Such false expectations about being able to comprehend the things of God rather than simply believing His Word and promises. That context leads to the first words of Jesus in our text. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Why did Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness? It was because God was teaching the grumbling people of Israel to put away their false expectations and to simply believe his word and promises. When we have false expectations about God's promises, we grumble. We are not content. We do not fix our eyes on Christ Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. Instead, we wander. We wander in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. We wander specifically because we begin to doubt whether God knows where he is actually leading. He says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a future and a hope. And we say, really? It doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like it. How great and numerous are the examples of wandering in the scriptures and the futility The futility in which such wandering ends. Whether it be those children of Israel whose faithlessness ends with fiery serpents at their feet, or the prodigal son whose wandering ends in the futility of hungering for the pods the pigs ate, or what of the wandering of the supposed faithful, the supposed heroes of the Old Testament that we're supposedly all supposed to look up to, like Abram and Sarah, who devised a way to almost manufacture a son through Hagar, rather than taking God at his word that Sarah would have a son. Or there's the wandering eyes of David, who took a woman not his. Or the wandering allegiance of of Samson, who gave away God's word in exchange for Delilah's devotion. We know we wander in sin, even if only willing to admit the the big picture and not the particulars of our wandering. And in a certain way, to help with that big picture, we try faithfully to use the penitential season of Lent as the antidote of our false expectations. 
But if you're not careful, you end up using Lent to meet your false expectations. And by that I mean that you, you might end up using Lent to think God is very pleased with your Lenten efforts, all the while making Christ, in your own eyes, less and less the center of your hopes for salvation. For example, how do you read the end of that beloved verse, John 3.16? It's so easy to put the emphasis in the wrong place. And instead of reading whoever believes in Him, we learn to read whoever believes in Him shall not perish. And then all the hearers go fret about whether or not they are strongly enough believing so that they might be saved through their, or because of the strength of their faith. False expectations. And when our own reading of Scripture leads to those false expectations that think of God as maybe angry or indifferent or perhaps waiting for us to prove our faithfulness, we learn to depend upon our piety and our faith. It becomes the hope of our salvation. And suddenly we are afraid to repent. We're afraid to repent because we ask ourselves, well, what will exposing my sins and repenting mean to my piety? My reputation as a faithful? What will that mean for my salvation if I am not as good and holy as I lead on or even convince myself that I am? This is what Jesus means when he says that people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. You might hear those words and think of some obvious bad guys, wicked fiends in a dark alley. Yes, their deeds are evil. But these words also are accurate in describing the well-intended good guys. The average individual the average hard-working father or mother or son or daughter or husband, wife or worker, one who knows his or her sin but doesn't want best efforts to be exposed as sinful. No matter how much of a show of light such folks like to put on, perhaps even we all put on our, our, our best faces on a Sunday morning, it's so easy to all the while hide in the darkness, refusing to admit the sin. Because these folks are trying to justify themselves by their believing, rather than by their believing in Him. By their believing, by their piety, by their own righteousness, they hope they have hope. But where their conscience tells them they have something woefully wrong, with their economy of salvation. In other words, in answering the question, how am I saved? How do I know God loves me? Where their conscience knows something is amiss and their inability to take heart in their answers, those poor souls are fearful and remain in the darkness of doubt and despair. But, we say to ourselves, but it would be too embarrassing to admit such things, because then I'd have to admit to God that my faith wasn't as strong as I lead on. Indeed, we find it embarrassing to repent because we are hoping in our piety. And to defend that piety, we have to blame someone other than me 
And God is a convenient choice. And soon, because we don't see it as our sin, but as God's fault, we begin grumbling and complaining about life, and we become defiant in our self-righteousness. And when we grow defiant and grumble and complain and seek to justify ourselves, these are all based on false expectations of God's stance toward us. And it all forgets to include Christ in the economy of our salvation. We forget that grace, G-R-A-C-E, is God's riches at Christ's expense. Human wisdom and spiritual science seekers don't look for Christ on the cross. They don't hope in Christ's expense. They have different expectations. And what's the result of these false expectations? We become quite wary that this God, I believe, is angry, is about to condemn me, to forget about me, to forsake me. And therefore we hide in any little crevice we can find, like a mouse being chased by a cat. And we expect that God will meet me with all his wrath and vengeance. Instead, he does something else, something loving and patient. But loving and patient doesn't mean he simply ignores my grumbling. He doesn't sweep it under the rug and say, Oh, well, I guess my holy commandments were just too difficult. I guess they just don't matter. Sin away because I'm a God of love. He doesn't say that. He doesn't let himself get walked all over by your grumbling defiance. Rather, he employs the patient preaching of his law. And he sends life's fiery serpents and trials to bite you and teach and discipline you. Remember, discipline doesn't mean punishment, it means teaching. You see, the preaching of the law doesn't just happen on Sundays. It happens all week long. The preaching of the gospel might happen on Sundays. But the preaching of the law happens all week long. As the law preaches to you the world's fallen futility and says, you can't trust in that. As the law preaches through your fallen relationships and exposes each person's self-centeredness, or perhaps your loved one's genuine need for all the thankless efforts that burden you, or maybe as the law preaches through your own heart's despair and despondency, or your conscience's shame over sin or wrestling with temptation. All those fiery trials throughout the week are not proclaiming a God who has forgotten you, but a God who calls you, calls you to despair of yourself, to give up your grumbling, to repent of your self-righteousness, and to trust his solutions and his promises regarding this life and your salvation. And when the law has effectively done its work, and the fiery serpents are too much for us, and we realize death and punishment are deserved, and they do await us, then God puts before our eyes and hearts his antidote to our sinful venom, his Christ lifted up in the wilderness, and he says, Behold your salvation. And he says, Obviously, I did not send him to condemn you. Otherwise, why would he take this position? 
Why would he take your place on the cross? You'd think that would be easy for us to believe. But how many Christians are taught that we cannot appeal to Jesus directly because he might be angry? So we ought to appeal to Mary or the saints. And how many more Christians are taught to ask themselves, when Jesus comes again as the judge, his glory will overwhelm his grace? And how do I know my, my certainty of salvation will lie no longer in Jesus' promises, but maybe in a self-assurance that I have done enough, or I have made a proper decision for Jesus and accepted Jesus into my heart, and am I prepared to prove my faith's righteousness? And still other Christians are taught, well, Jesus elected some to heaven and condemned others to hell, and you just better hope that you are the elect. And still other Christians, who are taught rightly, nevertheless are tempted by the devil to not believe the simple beauty of the gospel, so that they reason, yes, I know Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, but my sin is too great. It's too shameful. It's too embarrassing. God may have reason to love others, but he simply cannot love me. But none of that is what the Bible says. By his own words, our God tells us his disposition toward us. He says, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Or as St. John's epistle reminds us, Christ died not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And so, as you are part of that world, it's as if the Father says to you, I did not put Jesus on this cross to condemn you. I put him here specifically to save you through his suffering and death. Isn't that what all the scriptures promise us? From the Lord's promise in fallen Eden that the Messiah would come win the victory through suffering, to the blood of the Lamb over the doorposts, sparing the Israelites from the angel of death, to that solemnly beautiful prophecy of Isaiah regarding the, the, the Christ, that prophecy that says, Surely he has borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. You hear that? We are healed. And notice what Isaiah says. Our, our, our. That includes you. And therefore, anyone who has been spared their false expectations and rejoices in the trustworthiness of this Christ is not condemned. That's what the beloved words promised you. God in this way loved the world. That he gave his only son, lifted him up on the cross, just as Moses had previewed in lifting up that serpent in the wilderness. That whoever believes in this Jesus will not perish, but will have eternal life. Eternal life through that one on the cross. There, there is proper expectation. And where one has proper expectation of the Messiah's promises and believes in him, then that one gladly comes to the light even if it exposes his sin. Did you hear that in the reading? The reading ended this way. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. 
but it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. And we assume that means wicked things and then look at all my good works. But it doesn't mean that. It also means wicked things and repentance. We come to the light. And our repentance is carried out with hope in God. And so, there is the proper expectation. That that one can gladly come to the light even if it exposes his sin because he knows it will undo the lingering frost of sin's death. He is relieved and warmed by the light, almost like in the dead of winter, when we all sit in front of a window or stand in front of a glass door and just soak in the sun's warmth. Yes, the warmth of God's sun calls you out of your darkness and into his marvelous light. Even if it means the light exposes the sins of the penitent. For the sooner your sin is exposed, the sooner you can be cared for. The sooner you can repent of your sin, the sooner you can be forgiven by Christ. And you, that forgiven one, may then joyfully go forward not burdened by false expectations, not weighed down by impossible claims of self-righteousness, not terrified as an impenitent whose thinly veiled deception to his own eyes is also seen by everyone else's eyes. Rather, you go forward even through the wilderness of this fallen world buoyed with joy by the promises of Christ. Not grumbling, but saying, God does not give worthless food and drink, but gives me the very body and blood of his Christ. Mine is no life of darkness and condemnation, but of light and justification by the God who loves me and the world in this way, that each and every sinner may say, God gave up his only Son upon the cross for me that I might have God's riches at Christ's expense. Indeed, you live in the warmth of the proper baptismal life expectations of the gospel of Christ Jesus. So that with St. Paul you may say, the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave his life for me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Sermon 2 is titled The Riddle of the Two Children by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, and it is based upon Galatians, Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31, which reads, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. 
Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So the brothers, so brothers, we're not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is the text that forms the basis of this sermon, The Riddle of the Two Children. Here is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, we want to spend some time this morning thinking through this epistle text from Galatians 4. We've called it the riddle of the two sons because St. Paul has this extended allegory that is, in, in some ways, like a riddle that needs to be untangled. But to get us warmed up, I'd like to consider first the banner that sits before us with the cross there and Jesus on the cross and the words, do you love me? I think this banner is like a riddle as well. At least there are two distinct different ways to read it. And it all has to do with who's asking the question. It doesn't have, you know, like the uh, comics, a little circle with a little line saying where the question is coming from. So we have a couple of options. It could be that Jesus is asking the question to you, to us. As he suffers the wrath of man and of God, he is asking us if we love him. And if this is how it is, then this is truly a terrifying image. It would be like Jesus saying, look, look here how much I love you. Look at how much I've suffered for you. Look at how I've shed my blood for you died for you, and you, what are you doing for me? Your love for me is paltry and meager, failing. That is a terrifying picture. But if the, if the question is coming from the other direction, and this is how I want to suggest that we read this banner, if the question, do you love me, is not the question of Jesus to us, but it is our question to Jesus, then it is totally different, is it not? I mean, here we are, gathered here this Sunday morning in all of our sins and all of our failures and all of our guilt and all of our shame, enemies of God that deserve his wrath and his punishment, and we come and we ask Jesus if he loves us, and he answers by dying on the cross. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves you. His love for you is what compelled him to go through the suffering of the cross, to go through the pain and the shame and the whip and the crown and the nails and the spit and the mockery and the darkness and the wrath. It's his love who, which brought him to that point. As we sing, love caused your incarnation. Love brought you down to me. Thirst, your thirst for my salvation procured my liberty. Now, all of us have this question. Uh, in fact, I think this is the most important question for us to ask in our entire life, to, to come before God and to ask the question, do you love me? And here we see the answer. The cross is the answer. Yes, God loves you. And you can undo the love of God just as easy as you can go back in time and pry Jesus off of the beam of the cross. In other words, you cannot do it. 
Your sin and your shame cannot undo the love of God for you. It stands. Yes, I love you, says Jesus, as he stretches out his arms, as he gasps for his last breath. Yes, I love you. So let's let the banner preach the gospel to us and preach the comfort and the peace of the love of God. Now, as we do this, we see that there's a there's a difference. There's a difference in the two preachings that we hear, even from the Scriptures, and this is the difference between the law and the gospel. Now, this distinction is going to help us with the epistle lesson. So, law and gospel. Both the law and the gospel are God's Word. Both the law and the gospel are true. Both law and gospel should be heard continually. But the law and the gospel are very different in their content and in their purpose. God's law tells us what we are to do. The Ten Commandments summarize the law of God, that we should love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. And we break the law. We are sinners. And the law shows us our sin. Remember from your catechism, the law is a mirror, bright, to bring the inbred sin to light that lurks within our nature. So the law, like a mirror, shows you your sin. And in doing this, the law condemns you and shows you your need for a Savior. The law has both threats and promises. Threats of punishment for those who break the law and promises of blessing for those who keep it. But those promises are conditional promises, conditioned on your obedience. The gospel, on the other hand, is not what you are to do, but rather what God has done to save you. The gospel is the promise of the forgiveness of sins won for you by the death of Jesus on the cross. The gospel, then, is good news. In fact, it's very, very specific good news. It's the news that the death of the Son of God in your place has won for you life and salvation and the forgiveness of sins. So the law has to do with our works, but the gospel has to do with the work of Christ and our faith in that promise. Now, this distinction is going to help us sort out what Paul is getting at in this rather complex epistle lesson, this extended allegory that comes to us as a riddle. He's talking about two boys, two moms, two mountains, two cities, but really he's talking about these two things, the law and the gospel. So we need a chart. You'll have to imagine a chart. Or if you're, in fact, if you're sitting next to one of the confirmants taking sermon notes, you can just look at their chart. They have this chart, this page. So you can imagine it or look over their shoulder. Imagine a blank page with a line drawn down the center, and on the top left you have law, and on the top right you have gospel. And we'll fill it out. Under law, you have works and slavery. And under the gospel, you have promise and freedom. Here's how Paul writes, beginning with verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. God had called Abraham from the idols of Ur in Chaldean to be his man. He promised Abraham 
that his seed would bless the world. But Abraham and Sarah, at least it seemed, couldn't have children. So they took matters into their own hands. Sarah gave Abraham her maidservant, Hagar, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Ishmael. Now the Lord came and said to them that Ishmael was not the promised child, but that Sarah, Abraham's wife, that she would have a son. And remember, this is where Sarah laughed at God. But sure enough, a year later, Isaac was born. So Paul says, The son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. So now we start to fill out these two columns. Under the law, we have works of the flesh and Hagar and slave and Ishmael. But under the gospel, we have promise and Sarah and free and Isaac. You got it? We got it. You got to be with me so far because it's about to get complicated. <laughs> Paul is going to go on to add a number of things to both of these columns, to the law column and then to the gospel column. So first, let's go down the law column, beginning with verse 24. Paul says, Now this may be interpreted allegorically. Those women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. So under the law column, we add Mount Sinai, where God gave the Ten Commandments in the Old Covenant, and we add the present Jerusalem, where the Pharisees lived, who were insisting that salvation was a matter of works and keeping the law. The church in Galatia was being oppressed by these kinds of false teachers who were insisting that the people had to do good works to be saved, that they had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses if they wanted to be Christians. So they were mixing and they were confusing the law and the gospel. And Paul was saying, you see these guys, these Pharisees, these Judaizers from Jerusalem, these preachers of Moses and the Old Covenant, they are bound up to the law, bound up to the flesh, bound up in slavery, and they are leading to death. But Paul's going to add to the other side now, to the gospel side. He says this in verse 26. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it's written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So now almost all of the parts have lined up. A part... Uh, There's Hagar and there's Sarah. There's Ishmael and there's Isaac. There's flesh and there's promise. There's slavery and there's freedom. There's Mount Sinai, and he doesn't mention it, but there's Mount Calvary. And then there's Jerusalem now, and there is the Jerusalem above. There is law and gospel, bondage and freedom, death and life. And this is the point that Paul, the picture that Paul wants to bring to us because the question is now going to be, in which column are you? Which column is your doctrine, your theology? Which column is your church? Which column is your heart? Are you living in the slavery and the bondage of the law? Or are you living in the joy and freedom of the gospel? That's the question, but Paul is going to answer it. Listen, verse 28. Now you, brothers, 
like Isaac, are children of the promise. The Lord's Christians, the Lord's baptized, are children of the promise. Your life is not in Moses. Your life is in Christ. And your joy and your peace is found in the blood of Jesus. Your hope is in the forgiveness of sins. You are not making yourself good enough for God so that you can stand on your own two feet on the day of judgment. That road is the path of the law and it is a dead end. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You are born again, not by the will of flesh, but by the will of God, by the water and the word, set free from the fear of death, because you know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. You are children of the promise. God be praised. Now, Paul is going to make an application of this. And there's some wisdom here. He's going to say, just like Ishmael... Uh, hated and persecuted Isaac, so those who are bound up by the law hate and persecute those who are free in the gospel. Picking up at verse 29. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. We see in the history of the church this verse written out, this theme, that the gospel is persecuted and troubled. That those who belong to the gospel are persecuted and troubled by those who are bound up to the law. But we rejoice in this, even in this persecution for the sake of the gospel, knowing that we belong to Jesus and to his promise. So Paul ends the text with this great promise. Verse 31. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. You belong to the promise of Abraham. You belong to the promise of his seed. You are the children of of freedom, children of promise, children of the gospel, children of the blood of Jesus, children of God, loved by the Holy Trinity, died for by the Son, rescued from sin and from death, not by your works, not by your efforts, not by the works of the law, but by His loving sacrifice in your place. This is our joy. And this is our confidence in life and in death that we belong to the promise, that we belong to the blessings and to the freedom of the sons of God. So you got the two columns and the chart in your imagination, right, to help us unravel this riddle of the two sons, the two cities, and the two mountains, one with law, slavery, bondage, death, the other with gospel, freedom, life, and promise, and your name, dear saints, is written under this word, gospel. Your name is written with the blood of Jesus right next to Isaac and Abraham and freedom and life and promise and peace and joy. Your name is written by the sacrifice of Jesus your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So rejoice. 
rejoice in this promise. You, like Isaac, are children of the promise of God. Amen. And the peace of God that passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Preaching, good preaching that properly distinguishes between law, gospel, sin, grace, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins. Placards Christ shows that your sin is the problem and the solution is Jesus. It makes all the difference in the world. So we're at the end of another week of broadcasting here at uh, Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Until next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>